Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It Charlotte podcast. I'm Bryce Johnson. It's the show that unpacks sports, faith, and life. And today's episode is a special rebroadcast of what we did on Super Bowl Saturday. It was a live event that we did here in Charlotte called the Super Saturday Man Breakfast. And we had an absolute blast. Uh, Man, close to 200 guys came out to, to join us for really a delicious breakfast. And then a really strong panel with... Former Pittsburgh Steeler, LaVon Kirkland, current Arizona Cardinals punter, Andy Lee, and former New York Giant and USC Gamecock, Corey Miller, the pastor of pain. And so these guys were just tremendous, and I wanted to share this event with you. I know everybody couldn't make it. I know a lot of people uh, that may even listen from around the country that were curious about this event. You will be inspired, encouraged, challenged by what this panel had to say. And we'll, we'll cut out the part about the Super Bowl since the Super Bowl has already happened. And, and so we'll, we'll jump right into some of the other topics that, that we discussed. Of course, football. But then most importantly, we talked about faith and life. And these guys shared about some really major events in their life and some really painful experiences. And they were very vulnerable and honest with the men at this event. And, and so for you today listening, uh, man, it's, it's powerful stuff. And so you get kind of an insight into what these guys are all about. Now, for some of you, maybe you've heard the podcasts that we did with Andy, LaVon, and Corey. All of those guys joined us on the show last year. And if you missed any of those last year, I encourage you to go check those out. Uh, but really, some of the things we discussed at the event, some were the same, some were different as far as some of the topics. But uh, but I just encourage you to listen to, to all of it and, and be encouraged. And so here we go. The Super Saturday Man Breakfast, a special edition of the Unpacking It Charlotte podcast. And I want to thank our sponsor, Health Market Genius. Do you need health insurance? Get quotes for individual health insurance plans at healthmarketgenius.com. That's healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options. Let's jump right in. Let's talk a, a little uh, just football and, and your career and, and just some of your connections with the NFL. And so, LaVon, I want to start with you. Uh, I guess it was maybe two weeks ago we saw the announcement of Bill Cowher right. going into the Hall of Fame, your former coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of that, and, and, and what did Bill Cowher mean to you in your career? Uh, you know, I, really, I was really happy that Bill got in. I thought he deserved to get in. When he first came into the league, I was his second-round pick, his first second-round pick. I remember meeting him before I got drafted, and I basically was like, I want to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers because this is a young guy. He has a lot of energy. I don't know anything about the NFL and the workings, but I really want to play with this guy. It seemed like we made a connection, and it worked out where I got drafted by the Steelers. So. For me, it was it's great to see him there because he is authentic. The the antics and the spitting and all that stuff is <laughs> real. It really is. And I, I got a face full of the spit because being an inside linebacker, and he was a linebacker coach, I mean, he was always on us, so I got a, the wrath of the spit. But, <laughs> you know, he was a... He was truly, to me, one of the first times I saw a coach really be a, a CEO. He, 
he allowed his offensive coordinator to do their thing. He was a defensive guy. He allowed Don Capers and Dick LeBeau to do their thing. And he was able to move the crowd, which means he can motivate you. And on that level, you think that guys don't need to be motivated, but we do. You know, we're, we're still sponges, and we still want to be the very best we can be. And I thought he did a great job of doing that throughout his years. And when before we got there, you know, the Steelers were kind of on a, you know, downslope. He actually brought that, brought that city and that team back up in the um, early 90s. So to see him get there, I, I know he's going to share it here. He's a very emotional guy, but I'm very happy. It pleased my heart. Yeah, it was awesome to see, and I was watching it during yeah. halftime. It was cool. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that he never went back to coaching, that he stayed on TV? I'm, I was surprised. I was, was surprised. Young when he was yeah, he was so young. You think that some somebody's going to pay him enough to go back into the game, but he had a great TV gig, and I can get it. And <laughs> now you don't have to worry about one team winning and losing. You, you basically just have to kind of, you know, analyze the sport and articulate it. And he does a really good job of it. So I was surprised to see him not go back, but I can understand why he didn't. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Andy just finished up another season with the Arizona Cardinals and kind of a fresh start for the Cardinals, new coach, new quarterback, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. What was the season like? I, I thought you guys overachieved kind of from expectations going in. What was your takeaway yeah. from the year? I mean, uh, you know, going in, we, we draft this, this young Short little, you know, little guy, and and I'm not making fun of him or anything. He, that was his biggest rap on him. You knew he could throw the ball. You knew he was athletic. You knew he could do some things. But what could he do in the, the NFL? And then we have a, you know, hire Kingsbury, a college coach that's never has any NFL experience. And I couldn't have been more pleased with how, uh, first off, just how Kingsbury, how he led the team, how um, he wasn't. He wasn't like a, like normally. I feel like when you think of college, you think of rah rah guys, loud kind of. You know, you dealing with young kids or not young kids, but I guess compared to me and us up here, you're dealing with young kids in college. <laughs> one of the old guys in the league yeah. now. I am now. I am an old guy, but um, so he he just he just the way his presence and the way he led the team. He was very quiet about it, but he almost seemed nervous at times. It was kind of to start with, and then you could tell he grew. I think he tried to. You know, implement straight college offense at the first of the season, and I think he adapted as the season went to a more of a pro-style offense with his stuff mixed in it, which I think that's where we started to see a lot of success and Kyler settled down. And I'll be honest with you, I've you know I've been I've been around a lot of great quarterbacks, I've been a lot of, around a lot of great players, but I Kyler the way he, his actual throwing ability is unbelievable. He's one of the most accurate guys I've ever seen. Um, he's just obviously he's once he learned how to kind of navigate the pocket, I think, and get some of the holes because he can, obviously he can't see over you know a six <laughs> six five lineman, and once he learned how to move through the pocket and find those holes, I think he really it really just she started to flourish, and he's big time drive. He's you know he talked. I think the other day he was I'm not I don't play to be mediocre. I mean he's very very self driven, which is something that's hard to find. I think, and as far as punting goes, I mean. You know, kicked the ball well this year. It went, it went great. Um, but um, I, I feel like we're, there were, there's definitely some uh, some positivity going into next year. And I plan on playing them. They said they want me back. So you know how that can be sometimes. So hopefully hopefully I'll be back there. But um, it's a uh, – I think all in all, we ended on a positive note. And I think the future is definitely bright for us. We have Larry's coming back. So um, obviously one of my good buddies played college with him. And now I'm back with him in the NFL. So um, it's – it was an exciting year. Were you surprised that he is coming back? No. Okay. He still loves it? Uh, yeah. He's, he still has the passion for it. You can tell. I mean, I, it's amazing to me how well he can still move, like, compared to, like, you know, you see some guys that play 10, 11, 12 years, I saw you especially as physical chair. as he is. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he still moves really well. I mean, I'll play, I play golf with him a lot. He's, he, he's, still, he's still got flexibility and a good turn and, you know, just everything. His hips and knees seem to be... But I mean, I know he's hurting like anybody, but it's, you know, I think he's still, he's been lucky to be healthy, and I think he's, he wants a championship, so I think he's going to keep coming back as long as he can, personally, but. That's cool. I, on a side note, I was having a conversation with my brother the other day, 
Is there anybody more likable in sports than Larry Fitzgerald? Yeah. Like, who doesn't like Larry Fitzgerald? So, it's just a- <laughs> well, I mean, just a, I mean, he uh, what he puts out there. I know him personally. That's him. That's cool. I mean, so he is an unbelievable, awesome guy. We were making the argument that Zion Williamson could be that guy, potentially. I know the Carolina guys don't like to hear that, but maybe Zion could be that guy. Just likable. So, um, how many Panthers fans in the house today? All right. Oh, good crowd of Panthers fans. So, a wild offseason, and Corey's son, Christian Miller, just finished up his rookie season with the team as a linebacker. And so, I know you follow the team closely. There's a lot to talk about, but just kind of overall, what have you thought about the offseason changes? And, and gosh, we've seen Luke Keekley retire. Now Olsen's done, new head coach. There's, there's a lot going on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot going on. But I like to hire. Um, of course, let me just say for the record, I really, really uh, enjoyed getting to know and being around Ron Rivera. I think he's an excellent dude and a great coach and great for the community here in Charlotte. I mean, definitely hated to see him go, um, but I understand the business. You know, David Tepper coming in and wanting his own guy. And that guy's Matt Rule, who, who I have an appreciation for as well. You know, what he did at Temple and uh, turning that program around and going into that, that, that crazy environment at Baylor, which, you know, not too many coaches would have taken on that task. And so turning that program around, get, getting to the Sugar Bowl was there just right outside the college football playoffs. So I think he's going to do a great job. Uh, you know, Greg and Luke leaving that team, you know, uh, people – of course, the million-dollar question is Cam Newton, right? So, uh, you know, but he's, I think I read somewhere, heard last night that he, he said he's going to be back, which I think is great. I think it's great, but we'll see. Um, but I like the team. they got a good mixture of young guys and uh, veterans in the locker room. And you always worry about it, and he knows when you get a college guy that, you know, comes into a pro league and, and you know, not much experience. I know Matt has one year with the Giants as an assistant offensive line coach or something, but – you know, from a veteran standpoint, you look at that guy like, okay, you know, because it's not the, the rah-rah, you know, you, you don't come in with that. You know, you got you to gotta win the locker room. You got to win guys and get them to buy into what you're selling. And that's, that's going to be the biggest job. You know, will they believe what we're bringing? We're bringing a lot of college coaches and, you know, because guys in the league will tell you, like, okay, they're going to look at you weird. I mean, because they, they make a lot of money. Most of them probably make more than you do. Well, well not now. Matt Rue makes a lot of money. <laughs> but, but it used to be that way. <laughs> but, uh, but I think, you know, I think it's a, it's a good fit. I think, um, you know, they're looking to bounce back. And we'll see. I mean, you just never know. When you look at the, the history of college coaches coming to the NFL, uh, history says it's not going to work. But that uh, doesn't mean that it won't work. I'm fired up about it. As a Panthers fan, I love the hire. I think it's exciting. And there's just kind of a, yeah, restart, freshness surrounding the Panthers right now, which is, which is fun. All right, let, let's discuss kind of each individual career a, a little bit. And the, the, the question to consider, what was one pivotal moment in your career that when you, you look back at your career that maybe it was a, a turning point in your career, maybe it was the, the point that you, you realized, man, I'm, I'm in the NFL, maybe it was a, a key season that, that, is, that is most memorable. What was the most pivotal kind of moment or season in your career? And, LeVon, if you want to start, if you're ready to roll. <laughs> it's always me starting. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's probably two that I can recall. Uh, one came from Coach Cowher. I played outside backer my whole career, high school and college. And I, I, I fancy myself as a, uh, a rush guy back in those days. They switched me to inside linebacker. I had no clue what I was doing at inside linebacker. It's, it's so much faster. It's, I mean, it's coming at you from all angles. So it's take, for me, it took a little while to adjust. But the thing that also I had to adjust to was calling the signals. I never did that before. And I never directed or what I call manage a team. And as an inside linebacker, you have to do a lot of that. You have to know the formation. So it's a lot more responsibility than I was used to. I was used to being on one side. It was either coming to me or it was going away. So one day, you know, I got guys like Kevin Green, Greg Lloyd, Rod Wilson's in my huddle. And I am a second-year guy, and I'm looking at all these veterans, and I got to be – poised enough to direct them and make the calls. Let me tell you, it was a rough couple of weeks when they gave me the start. But I remember Bill Cowher telling me that, hey, you have to take over the huddle. 
I'm like, take over the huddle. I got all these veterans on the team. I'm just a newbie. How do I take over the huddle? So basically that philosophy of faking it until you make it <laughs> kind of went. So I just transformed myself into a, a leader, and I became a guy that was a little bit, it's kind of out of my character, really. I became more, uh, more of an alpha, and we had a bunch of alphas on that defense. So it was a little tough, but... It actually worked out. And then Super Bowl 30, I'll never forget this. It's before we got ready to play the game. And Matt Millen was a former linebacker. I think he won five Super Bowls. And he got word to me that he thought that I was the dark horse on that team, that I was a guy that could make a difference. He said, but, you know, you're seeing the right things, but you're just not trusting your eyes. And he told me before the game, trust your eyes. And for some reason, that clicked to me. That like, bam, light bulb. And I just trust everything I saw. And I, I mean, I had a really good game. Uh, we ended up losing the game, which was the bummer about it. But I ended up really taking that trust your eyes with everything. Just believing in what you're seeing and having confidence to go that direction. So I would say... My second year when Coach Kyra told me to take control, and then uh, I think this was my fifth year, we go to the Super Bowl, and Matt Millen tells me to trust my eyes. And the next two years, I end up going, being a pro bowler. I end up being the NFL, alum, uh, NFL linebacker of the year from the alumni and making uh, all pro again and two, you know, also winning MVP for the Steelers. So just trusting my eyes really helped my confidence in, in playing the game. Gosh, that's awesome. Man, I, I think back when I was probably, gosh, 10, 11, 12, playing Sega Genesis, and it yeah. was like, it was either Madden or Primetime, and it, you were ranked like 99. You yeah. were awesome on that yeah. game. You sure did? I mean, that was my number. I don't know if I was ranked no, you were, 99. You, I, I was a different linebacker, you know, just, you and Rob I, I, Woodson were awesome. Yeah, I was game. just a big guy that could move a little bit, and and I probably shouldn't. I mean, as far as measurables is concerned, I probably shouldn't have been playing linebacker. Hmm. I was I was a big guy. Most big guys my size were playing defensive lineman, but for some reason, man, it was you know God's blessing that I was able to stay back and play linebacker and, and do as well as I, I did. But you know. I was 270, 280, you know, sometimes 290 trying to play linebacker. And wow. It, it worked out. For some reason, it, it did work out. That, that's awesome. Corey, why don't you, you jump in? On Corey, that. don't tell him my real, my real weight, okay? <laughs> uh, I won't. I won't, I won't. <laughs> Probably, um, let's see, 1986 in Lamar, South Carolina. Um, <laughs> we playing a game. Uh, Corey Miller, two of the state's best linebackers, versus LeVon Kirkland. Oh, my gosh. All the coaches in the stands, Danny Ford, Joe Morrison, you name it. And, and uh, we had a great game. Of course, I won a few times. I've beaten LeVon because we didn't do much in South Carolina. Uh, but um, that was fun. I mean, we played against each other. Yeah. Basketball, uh, too. Basketball, too, yeah. in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, two-way schools. Um, and by the way, there were uh, three of us. The other guy would be Ed McDaniel for baseball. Leesville High School, two A school, three linebackers. Right. Uh, I, I posted something. I think we played probably close to 40, 38, 40 years combined. Yeah. In the NFL, three guys from South Carolina from two A schools. Uh, so that's that's a great blessing from the Lord that's right awesome. there. But um, no, I think you know getting to New York drafted uh, in the sixth round, and they just won the Super Bowl and. You know, going in the locker room and, you know, you talk about these alphas. <laughs> you know, imagine coming from South Carolina and now you're there and you're next to Lawrence Taylor. Um, <laughs> it's like all this, like, what do you do? You know what I mean? So uh, playing with him and, and uh, learning from him, uh, you know, the guy just taught me so much. Uh, watch him. I'm telling you, the guy that can rush the quarterback is unbelievable, the stuff that he could do. And he didn't work out. You know, he wouldn't work out. He wouldn't watch film. Um, go to sleep doing film sessions. So, uh, like, that's probably not the way I need to do things. I'm, I'm not there yet. But, but you know, I think the big, biggest turning point from, for my career was my uh, rookie year playing against Warren Moon and the Houston Oilers. Uh, Lawrence goes down, and, and I come in. And uh, actually, I start that game because he, he went down against Green Bay towards Achilles. And 
I'll start and just uh, got, got two sacks that ball game. And, and it was a good and bad thing because good thing that, that that's kind of where I established myself as a, a starter in the league. But my good friend Carl Banks got cut the next year. And it's just part of the league, you know, just uh, I kind of took his place. But it was my turning point, you know, learning from that guy. And he taught me uh, a move called a Geritol. And you put, what is that? So, you know, where you just kind of you take off real slow. You don't get up the feet, build, you know, you make the tackle, set his feet. And then you speed around the corner with a rip. And so I just never forget, we were playing the Redskins. And he told me, this is what you need to do. We are playing against the Hogs, and Joe Jacoby was – uh, the tackle, and I told you he was the ugliest dude in all of football. That's what we all said. He was nasty, mean. But um, but I got the little Geritol move and got my first uh, NFL sack. I guess. Oh, awesome. So that was a, one of the moments I always remember. So cool. Andy, you're still playing, but you've played 15 oh. years? You just, finished your, you just finished your 16th. Wow. So when you look back, what's a pivotal moment for you? I mean, I, it's, it's, there's one time. So my rookie year, eh, you know, Bomb the ball offside of my foot. Bomb the ball. You know, so that's kind of my first year. Second year is a little bit better, but finished my last game of the season with a 14-yard punt. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. So of my second year. So that's, that's what they're, the, the front office is looking at. So my first two years, if you looked at my career stats, my first two years are way different than every other year. Um, so I knew going into the offseason that they, they were – you know, it was kind of like, am I still going to be here? Are they going to get rid of me? They're still going to give me a chance. You know, they saw a lot of talent in me, but I kind of was just inconsistent, which isn't good when you're a punter or kicker or anything. So they bring in Tom Ruin, which he was a 15-, 16-year guy at that time to compete with me in camp. So I was like, okay, and it was the GMs, like they were roommates in college, like all this stuff. So I found out later he really did this to push me, but at the time I thought, like, I was done. So... It was the most stressful camp I've ever had. I, uh, Mike Nolan was our coach at the time, and he came up to me, and he was like, because that punt was out of our end zone, too, the 14-yarder, by the way. Oh. Um, we, we, it, we were two, we were four and 12 that year. Years. So Those it doesn't, I mean, years. it wasn't like we were, like, doing anything with it, but um, <laughs> it really didn't hurt, you know. So it, and so it, it was, uh, he, he called me to his office. He's like, if we have a punt out of the back of the end zone, Anytime during the preseason, you're taking it. I was like, all right. He goes, even if it's the last, because I was going to pl- still play the first half, he was gonna, the other guy was going to play the second half. So he goes, even if it's the last punt of the game, this is weird that this happened. So you'll see in a second. We're in a fourth preseason game. I'm beating him out overall, but he's hit, you know, he's doing a good job. He's a 16-year guy. Um, we, the other team punts the ball, like, down to, like, somewhere inside the five-yard line. Two minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter. I haven't punted since the second quarter. He comes up and he says, if we punt, you got this. We end up punting. So I go back there, fourth preseason game, knowing if I mishit this ball, I'm probably going to get cut. Pressure. If I hit a good ball, I'm probably going to make the team. So I mean, hit a good ball, it worked out, everything. But that, to me, and I remember sitting with my uh, wife the next day in the hotel room waiting for them to call to see if I made the team or not. To find out, Joe Nedney was our kicker, to find out that Tom left the night before they told him I was the guy. They didn't call me until 5 o'clock the next day. Oh, man. What was that like? Miserable. I mean, it's like, I mean, especially being young and like now it wouldn't be as big of a deal because obviously, you know, it's been awesome. If, if Whenever it goes, it goes. Um, but at that time, it was, it was my life. It was my livelihood. And it, but from that point on, that's when I started. I, that kind of, I guess, changed my perspective on life. It changed my perspective on the NFL. Like, helped me deal with pressure, which I think is something that is a big deal. Like, there, I mean, I'm nervous on a lot of times when I'm out there. I mean, my heart's racing at certain times. But if you can, you can still perform through it, that's what matters. You know, if you're not nervous, then you, I feel like if you're not nervous, you don't care. You know, so um, now am I nervous every punt? No, like, but there's probably ten punts a year that I am. I would rather not be out there, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, but it, it's because if you hit, if you do a good job, it's kind of like okay, he's you know, I've had a good career, so it's kind of like, okay, he did his job. If you do a bad job, it's 
you're crucified. I mean, you know, it's, it's, so I mean, and, and everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. So just hope you don't make the mistake in a in a situation that matters. So hopefully we'll get the Cardinals winning some games and getting you in some of those big moments, right? I mean, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, honestly, and during a game, it's awesome. I don't like to think about doing that now, no, personally. No. Um, but I, I, it's it's fun. It's actually fun to go out there when the, your team needs you to do something and being able to step up and do it. So, it's it's an adrenaline rush, which I think that's what a lot of people, um, why they, a lot of people like competition, like things. It gives you that adrenaline rush. It gives you that uh, um, just the feeling that it's it's just an awesome feeling to have. That's cool. And I, when, to think about 16 seasons in the NFL, that's awesome. So congratulations on that. That's, that's really cool. When you think about three, three and a half is the average for an NFL player. Um, and all these guys had long careers. So uh, really neat. Well, we could talk football all day. And, and these guys, though, they're, they're much deeper and go beyond football and, and have deep faiths and have been through a lot personally throughout their, their stories. And so uh, we want to unpack some of that today. And, and you, you talked about pivotal moments in your career. Let's transition to turning points in life. And, and specifically, if you can share about the turning point in your faith when you recognized your need for Jesus, that you were going to follow Jesus, what, what was that turning point? What were some of the, the pivotal moments that, that led to that? Uh, I don't know who wants to start, but Andy, you got, LeVon, you got it? Uh, yeah, I've been starting all the time. There so. you go. Keep it rolling. Yeah, let's go ahead and just keep doing that. I, I, I th- the captain. I, I, <laughs> That's right. I, I think, you know, it seems, it's kind of funny. It seems like there's always two things with me. Uh, 1996, I, uh, you know, doing pretty well in the NFL, but something was just tugging at me. My background is my father was a minister and, and that's a lot of pressure to be a PK kid at back then in those times. I mean, people are really keeping a close eye on you. But I'm an adult at this time, and, you know, it's just one night I just really couldn't go to sleep, and I just remember that. And it just seems like, you know, God was just telling me to change, you know, calling me to change my life. It wasn't like I was doing anything bad or I wasn't being successful or anything like that. It was just a moment that I felt like, uh, I need to take it another notch with um, with my faith. And so that day I really kind of turned my life to God. And it was kind of funny. My father baptized me, but I think he kept me in the water a little longer <laughs> than, than he did most people. So I, I guess he was praying about that situation. And so he just kind of, you know, my mother was really happy and I'm drowning in the... In the, in the, in the pool there. So, that was one point. And then, I, I would have to say, probably the point where there was a four-year period where I, I lost uh, my oldest brother, my father, uh, and then um, I lost my wife, and then a year later, left lost my mother. So you know, just losses after losses, and I was really. Be honest with you, I was a little upset about losing my father because I felt, and he had Alzheimer's. Have you ever had anybody who had Alzheimer's? That's probably the toughest one to deal with because they don't really know who you are. They're not really themselves. You, you can't have that conversation that me and my father always had. We always had that conversation. So. That was tough for me. And then, you know, my wife was dealing with lung cancer, and she passed about maybe a year and a half after my father. I'm just like, woe is me, and this is not really fair or anything like that. But my daughter really kind of taught me, kind of got me out of it um, through the whole time. She, She was only like 11 years old, and she wasn't really... She wasn't really upset. She wasn't really crying at the time. And I'm thinking, like, oh, my goodness, you know. And I remember that night that my wife passed away, and I had to tell my daughter. And she was like, oh, gosh, okay, yeah. Like, okay, (laughs) this girl's a cyborg or a robot. (laughs) And uh, so, but the next day, she wanted to go to school. And so we took her to school, and she went to school. And my wife got buried in Kentucky, where she's from. And so 
it's the funeral one. I, I'm I'm totally a mess, to be honest with you. My wife meant so much to me, and just like you guys who are husbands, you really lean on your wife a lot more than what people may think. You know, they see this football player, this linebacker, but to be honest with you, I leaned on my wife a whole lot. Um, so I didn't have her to lean on. So we're at a funeral, and, <laughs> you know, again, I'm a mess, man. And my my little girl hasn't cried one time. Like, what in the world is going on with this girl? And I remember um, we're in the car, and she's like, you know, I'm like, Kennedy, I mean, like, how are you feeling? She's like, you know what, Dad, I just really trust God. And uh, mommy is just in a better place. I'm just really happy for her. She's in heaven. I'm happy for her. And I was just like, this young lady who's like 11 years old just loses her mother. And she has a perspective that a grown man like myself really doesn't have. I'm like, I'm losing my mind. I mean, I just can't wrap my head around this whole thing. And that was probably the second turnabout when my daughter was like, you know, she's in a better place and she's, um, she's with God and she doesn't have to suffer anymore. And that kind of really changed my perspective about uh, my faith and everything. So it was really this little girl who just kind of helped me see it and put it in perspective because my perspective was, why is all this happening? You know, I, I lost... You know, my oldest brother, one of my heroes, my father, who was definitely my hero. Uh, You know, you lose a wife, you know, in the middle of the night. And uh, for my little girl to just put in perspective, I mean, she went to school and everything. Most kids would have been like, ah, shoot, I can take a break. But she went to school and, I mean, she really didn't, she really didn't cry. The only time she cried was when she, I went back up to see the, see, uh, my wife again, and then I came back, and um, you know, she started crying. I'm like, oh, wow, she's crying. And I'm like, you know, honey, it's going to be okay. And she's like, well, I'm not crying for mommy. I'm, I'm crying because you're crying. And I was like, wow. But to end this story, this is kind of a funny thing, too, at the very end. It, you can even laugh at a funeral sometimes. We sitting there, and she's like, daddy, and this is a big minister, and he has a purple suit on, and he's kind of flashy. And <laughs> he has one of those little cowboy ties. And my little girl looks at me, she's like, Daddy, you know, the, the minister looked like a big Willy Wonka. <laughs> and it took everything in my fiber not to just burst out and laugh. It really did. So when she said that, it kind of put things, you know, in perspective. She's like, man, he looks like a big Willie Walker, and I'm just like, oh, my God. So, so I would say th- those are really my turning points, you know, just with my walk with Christ, just understanding that a lot of times we use the word special, you know, somebody special, but what I realize is that we're, we all have greatness, but... Being special, I think, is a little overblown because, you know, things can happen. You can, you know, like Kobe, you know, surprising death. I mean, everybody can be, anybody could be diagnosed with cancer, um, lose their money. A lot of things can happen. So in, in that retrospect, we're not special. We just all have God in us. And I, I think that was a lesson that I had to learn, that you know, just because you're LeVon Kirkland and you're doing all this doesn't exempt you from um, going through some pains. And, and that's what we did. And, um, you know, that's been my turn. And I'm just every day just trying to do the very best I can and, and walk in the path. Amen. Amen. Thanks, thanks for sharing. And, Andy, for, for you... Um, Let's, let's talk about kind of the turning point in, in your faith, and then if you want to transition to a key turning point in, in your life and, and, and family and, and what, what you've been through. Well, I have kind of two, uh, a turning point in my faith and when my faith was tested. Um, so 
I'll do the first one kind of quick. So Todd Peterson, um, I don't know if anybody knows, he was a kicker at Georgia. He played in the NFL, I think, for 12, 13 years. He's a big man of God. So I was draft, when I was drafted the 49ers, he was the kicker. So he was a 12-year guy. I was a first-year guy. Grew up in church, kind of got away from it at Pittsburgh. Um, was still, would, would have considered myself a Christian still, but kind of, you know, got into, you know, bad mouth, doing things that, you know, in college that I probably shouldn't be doing, all that kind of, you know, all the kind of normal stuff, kind of rebel away from my parents in college and, you know, try to live on your own and make bad decisions. And he basically, I was, I was actually engaged to a girl from Pittsburgh. Bad relationship, it just wasn't great. He actually, through the Bible, kind of brought that back into me, ministered to me the whole year, kind of helped me see that. I ended up breaking off that engagement, and he knew I was struggling with that and my relationship and everything, and also my relationship with God. So and right before we left on the like checkout that you guys know, season's over, you have a meeting, you're gone. Like It's like, it's like you were never even there. It's, it's kind of crazy. He says, I want to pray for you before you leave, and I was like, okay. And he said, and then I, he prayed uh, that the next girl that I meet, whether it's two weeks, two months, or two years, to be the woman that God wants me to be. My, I grew up near Clemson in Westminster, South Carolina, right, right outside. So my brother was at Clem, went to Clemson. So I went home after my rookie year, went out one night with him to a bar, Tiger Town. Uh, yes. It was two weeks after I got home. I met a girl. She's my wife now. I was, we were both drinking. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, not, not probably the perfect place for God to, you know, give you the woman of your dreams. <laughs> but I can say without a doubt, she has, that, she brought me back to God through her because she was amazing. She still is amazing. Um, and she basically has kept, keeps me in line. I mean, she is an amazing girl. So I believe like that kind of like, that just doesn't happen, I don't think, um, especially with what I went through and, the, and it being pretty much exactly two weeks from, it was, it was kind of crazy with that. So that leads me into probably the biggest time my faith was tested, and bear with me if I get emotional because uh, this week is a really tough week for me and my wife. So on January 27th, five years ago, we had a little girl. Um... We have two boys right now, which without them, I don't know if we could have made it through without them and with God and everything. It was just, it was crazy. But um, she lived eight days, passed away on the 4th. So kind of this week from the 27th to the 4th is just like not the best in our house. Um, we try to celebrate her on her birthday and, and try our best on her, you know, on the 4th to do what we can. So I guess when things happened... Um, there was something wrong with her. We don't know exactly. She was born. She swallowed fluid. Uh, had to go in the uh, NICU. So my boys never got to meet her. Nobody ever got to meet her because it's flu season this time of year. So nobody's allowed in besides the parents. Um, so it, it was just... Like, I remember praying. Because we thought there was possibly something wrong with Because she was having problems, like, fighting, like, a like little bit. Like, she had a staph infection. But not, like, staph that you see in, like, NFL locker room. Just staph that's on our skin right now. And she couldn't fight it. And she was having blood transfusions and platelet transfusions and tubes all in and out of her. And it was just, I mean, to see your little girl hmm. in pain, it just, it's horrible. So, um, I remember praying um, five, six days, seven days in. If she's going to be miserable here on earth, just take her. And that was the hardest prayer that I've ever had to pray. Um, but he did. He took her, and I think, um, I don't, I, I think during that time, I was, it was a mixed emotions. I was, I was mad at God. I was confused. I was um, about every emotion you have, but also there was love which it's hard to love God when you're mad at him at the same time, or it seems like it would be hard, but I don't think it is because um, I, I just don't, like, it, it was just, it, 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 I don't know. I mean, it was, it, it was an awesome thing because I believe that 
my my girl's not here because she wasn't it wasn't gonna be a great life for her you know i don't think she was gonna be happy here i don't think i think she would have been miserable here so we know she's in a better place we know i know one day um i'm gonna get to see her again like one thing that i'm not scared of is obviously i don't want to die i don't want to leave my kids i don't want to leave my wife i want to see my kids grow up and hopefully be able to lead them in the right direction but when i go i go i get to see my girl you know it it, it is what it is but it's um it's something that I feel like was the worst thing that's ever happened to us. And I mean, it's been five years and it still kills me. Um, I sleep with her baby blanket every night. Um, it's uh, my son bought her like a little stuffed animal. He still sleeps with it every night. You know, it's uh, that she had in her little NICU bed with her. So that was tough. But being on the other side of it, it also we started Madeline's fund out of it. So um, now we three years ago. We helped our first family, well, I guess three and a, a little over three years ago on December, I think it was 27th. My wife would kill me for not knowing the exact date. But 2016, we started, we helped our first family. So we assist families in the ACU, everyday living expenses and funerals. In three, a little over three years, we've, now we've helped over 700 families. We've done... And one of the biggest things we do is funeral costs. Because one thing we and my wife talked about, because... The worst thing, and you have, you probably know this, having your wife and everything um, and your parents to have to call the funeral home and set up all the arrangements and everything and the cost of it and everything, it, it's just not any good. So we, we, we pay for funerals for families as well. We've done, oh gosh, I know we were at 111. I think of those 700, there's about 113 now. I think we did a couple this past week. Um, so we've did about 113 funerals for families, which... That's the thing, the thing about it that, that we thought was, like, what's something that during this time where, like, you're in a, like, complete, in a complete mess, the one thing you don't want to fight about is money. Like, and being able to, and, and sometimes it's not always about, like, you know, people, like, you know, going through loss. It's just people can't go to their job, can't work. So we help with gas carts. We help with utilities. We help with, like, everything else for those people. But when they do experience loss, we help with that. So we just want to everybody to be able to properly memorialize their child that don't and this is for more people like that can't afford you know to do this there's there's people that will that can't like have a proper funeral because they don't have the money to pay for it so i mean they're not cheap so i mean i think that it, so i guess my biggest point is through the pain that i still feel today and and suffer with i still suffer with like why even though i know why and I know she's in a better place. It's still, it's still tough, but we're able to, you know, her life so short has influenced so many people. And it's not me that's doing it. It's not my wife. I truly believe it's her. So, Man. Wow. Uh, Thank you for your vulnerability and honesty and, and sharing a, just a powerful story. And, and I know there, there are guys in this room that uh, can identify with an element of, of both of your, your stories and, and are going through or have gone through something, something similar. And, and I, I hope the encouragement today is that through that, God reveals himself, that God uses people to come alongside us, and that God turns things for good and to think of the lives that have been impacted through Madeline's Fund uh, is, is so encouraging to hear. And, and, and so encourage guys to check that out, Madeline's Fund, um, and then be able to support that as well. Uh, I always like to be very cautious of, of time. And so we said, hey, we're going to go till 930. Um, so if you do need to go and if you told your wife, hey, I'm leaving at 930, honor that. But we've got a little overtime. So if you're good with overtime... We're going we're gonna to keep going because we want to hear from Corey, uh, and he's got a, a, a powerful story as well to share. Uh, so don't feel bad about leaving. Um, so just want to res- respect that. Um, I also want to spe- respect your guys' times too. But I know that the, the Lord is going to speak through Corey. And so uh, in, in kind of this theme of, of turning points and, and pivotal moments in life and, and ultimately turning our, our lives toward Jesus, uh, Corey, why don't you jump in with that? Yeah, uh, just amazing, amazing stories, uh, testimonies. Uh, uh, I grew up right down the road, uh, Pageland, South Carolina. Um, that's where I was born and raised. Um, I have 10 brothers and sisters. Um, 
powerful, strong Christian family and you know, grew up in the church and, you know, where you had to do Christmas and Easter speeches that I hated. Um, we had a, <laughs> a choir, family choir that, uh, you know, Sundays it would be like an all-day affair. It was your church for three and a half hours and somebody else's church to go sing and somebody else's church and that panel side station wagon. Well, that was me. Um, so, I, you know, I heard uh, about the Lord God and Jesus, you know, growing up all my life. I mean, it was all the way from my grandmother. It was passed down. Um, but when I, you know, growing up poor and not having things, I always just wanted to make it. It was like I want to play pro football one day. And I just knew that, you know, whatever sport it was, I was a two-time All-State basketball player. I got a record holder in track. Whatever sport, I did it all. And I was, God bless me, I was very successful. And so I was like, one day I'm just going to get out this little town. I'm going to play pro ball. And, you know, uh, you know, I'll tell people, you know, the world sells this, this dream of money and, and material things, houses and cars and jewelry. And, you know, man, that's where I'm going to have my, my success and my peace and my joy. Well, I went to South Carolina, full scholarship, did well there, defense player of the year, all those things, all conference two times. And I finally got drafted by the Giants and had a little bit of money, bought my first Mercedes-Benz from Sterling Sharp and had my little AMG rims. You know, I was rolling. And uh, I'm in a big country now in the big city of New York, man. I'm, I'm there. I'm finally there and, you know, had success making money, uh, you know, living that dream. And one thing, I, you know, and I thought I was a Christian, you know, because I, I grew up in a Christian home. I Went to FCA. I did all that stuff. I was always in chapel. I did all those religious, the right things, right? Like, you know, we go to church or we, you know, we got the bumper sticker with a T-shirt, but don't make you a Christian. So, you know, I did all that, but I was living a lifestyle of immorality and, you know, you name it, I did it. Drunkenness. I did everything I was big and bad enough to do. And I was thinking, man, if I got all this money now and I'm successful, I'm on TV, I'm in New York, playing alongside the greatest linebacker to play the game, you know, life is perfect. And I never really had joy, peace in in my heart. Something was just empty. And so what I started doing, you know, that AMG 300 wasn't big enough, so I go to the 400, and then the 500, and I got to get the 600. You know, I had the cross. I know what I'm talking about. You, you see him, and I had the nice little cross with the diamonds, and, man, that wasn't big enough, so I got the bigger cross. I got to get something else bigger. Nothing will satisfy me. You know, I bought a nice house in Columbia, and I thought, you know, the Wildwood, the drive of dreams, that's going to make me happy. That's going to give that didn't do it. So I got to get a bigger house. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got this girl. Great wife, my college wasn't good enough. I got to have more women, different color, different sizes. Nothing was fulfilling me. This lie that the world says that if I can obtain and have and get, then that's where true joy and peace come from. Well, I didn't have it. I chased and I chased and I chased. And finally, you know, my chaplain said, Corey, I want you to go hear this guy speak by the name of Pat Kelly. I think he played baseball. He was up in New Jersey. And... Man, he was speaking, and it was just like the Lord himself was just like, you know, talking to me. And it was just hitting me upside the head, man. It was a one-two punch upside the head, everything he was saying. Um, again, I thought I was a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church, I FCA. I did all Bible study. I did all that stuff. But I made a decision in 1993 uh, to give my, my life to the Lord. I knew that that guy was speaking to me. Uh, that night, and and it, and it took everything for me to go. I had my car in the shop. I was getting a new stereo, you know, and I was like, man, I'm not going up there here. This dude, why am I going up there? But I just felt something in my soul. Uh, so I accepted Christ in, in 1993, and and uh, it was a roller coaster after that. I still had these things going on in my life. I was cheating on my wife, you name it. I kept doing it, and one day I just said to my chaplain, I said, I don't feel this. this I don't feel saved. Why am I keep doing this stuff? I still kept chasing stuff. Well, when I retired, I hurt my neck uh, in practice. Um, came up, we were doing seven on seven, we, what we called thud. I came up and thud at Tyrone Wheatley, running back from Michigan. And uh, man, everything just went numb, just like that. They sent me off, I was in training camp at SUNY Auburn. They sent me to New York Special Hospital for surgery. They were like, look at that, oh, you're great for an eight, nine year linebacker. Your neck looks good. Well, let's just do a little MRI, just to be sure. Well, I had a, some disc issues. Eventually caused me to retire. 
I had a clothing business downtown, and it was doing great. We were selling customized suits because guys like LeVon like those ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollar suit packages. Yeah, you see what I shoes. got on right now. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>, pants. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, man, I'm gonna sell to my boy. I'm gonna make some money. We're doing good. I'm rolling still. And then I had a partner that stole from me. Then I had to sign my name on all these things. Yeah, all the millions of dollars I had was going out the door. I got depressed. Uh, I went on tour with my boys. I sat there retired. I went on tour with my boys, Hootie and the Blowfish, Dead Trucker, got some of my best friends. And uh, they was like, come out on the road, hang out a couple weeks. I did that. Two weeks turned into eight months. I'm on a rock and roll tour. Why? Because I'm searching, because I'm still empty. And then I, you know, I got so depressed. I'll never forget this in 2003. I'm in Charleston after the tour was over, and I'm still out drinking. I'm part of running women. And it got, it's so dark in my life. And I had a Glock 40 caliber gun sitting right there. And I heard these voices that I now know as the devil, the enemy, the adversary. He's like that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, consume, telling me to kill myself. Your career is done. Your hope is done. Everything is done. Your friends are gone. Those people that was your boys that were always like to roll with you when you had the limo, when you had the Don Perry on and all this stuff, they gone. Your wife gone. Your family gone. Why you need to live? Kill yourself. I sat there, tears running down my face with that Glock 40. And then I remember something at seven years old that my grandmother, great-grandmother said to me and my mom. She said, Ethel. Talking to my mother, she rocked in that rocking chair. She said, God's got plans for that little boy life. She said, Ethel, God's going to use that little boy. And at that moment, I heard my grandmother say that, who's been dead. I heard her voice. I dropped the gun. I got a U-Haul the next day. I moved back to Columbia. I tried to reconcile with my wife. She wants nothing to do with me. But God said, but this moment on, I will teach you. You play for the New York Giants, but I want to teach you what it means to be a giant for Christ. You know, that you can lose, you can be down under, you can be depressed. But I know this man, that, that Jesus, who paid the price for it all. And, and, and now I became a Christian that day. I rededicated my life back to Jesus. And since 2003, I've been preaching this gospel, telling men, telling athletes what a real giant is. See, real giants is not about the bumper stick on the back of your car. Real giant is not going to church and, and going to sing in the choir, doing Easter speeches. A real giant for the Lord is about having a true relationship with him, making him Lord, making him master over your life. And I know today that this enemy that was trying to kill me, he comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. And that's, just the, that's the good news. That's the good news that I know today. And, and, and now I'm preaching and, and, and I'm traveling and I'm talking to men and athletes. And this is the message that I share. It's about making him Lord. You know, and it's about knowing who God says you are. Because, you know, we get in these ruts in life, which I did. But I had to understand that there was a king on the inside of me. Before I was formed in Ethel Miller's womb, God said he knew me. And he ordained me to preach this gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why the enemy wanted to destroy me. That's why he wanted to take me out. And that's why he wanted to take many of you out. Because he, he knows that there's a king on the inside of you. You know, this year has been tough for me as I, I finish this up. I lost my mother. I lost my father in three months of last year, 2019. The two people that were my rock. The two, two people that when everybody else turned on me, they were always right there. The man that I saw praying day after day, night after night, who died from Alzheimer's or dementia. You're right, LeVon, that's hard to watch. But that same father, the one thing that he always knew was Jesus. In his final hours, you can talk about God, and he sang this song, I'm running for my life. And my sister starts singing that, he remembered every word. Matter of fact, my mom unexpectedly died first on July the 4th, right down the road here at the hospice place. Unexpectedly called me one morning and said, Corey, will you pray for me? Crying, my mother, man, that, that, that'll rip your heart out. I'm in pain and with my stomach. It turned out she had all these... Uh, some kind of uh, ulcers, and it was bad, man. It was like clots, and 
And so I pray God, you know, heal her, but God began to have me pray for the whole family. The Spirit of God led me there. But by the way, she felt better. Next morning, my sister calls. I'm taking mom to the hospital. I drive up here. The doctor says, you know, she's got 24 hours, 48 hours at most. Mama gone. My dad sang at the funeral. I preached my mother's funeral. thought something I never thought I had to do. Three months later, my dad gone. The two pe- people that out there were my rock. But one thing I remember, man, is what they left me. They weren't able to leave me a big house and a bank account, a money or material things. They left me an inheritance of Jesus Christ and knowing who he is. <laughs> I don't worry anymore. I don't worry anymore because I, I do know where they are. And I take the message of my dad. I told my dad as he died, he stayed there till I got home. It was amazing. He stayed there, and then that nurse says, he's waiting on somebody. My sister says, waiting on Corey. I was there for my grandmother's passing. I was there for my mother's passing. I was there for my father on the bedside. And they told me, God is passing this baton for you to be the spiritual leader of your family. And so I take that song as I preach my father's funeral. <laughs> he said, run. He said, run for your life. And I never knew what that meant when he was... But he was saying, man, God has given us a life that's marked by him, our Heavenly Father, and we ought to run it like Paul said. We got to run with endurance. We got to run this race that's marked for you and run it for Jesus because it's the only thing. I don't care if you hear anything else I say today because I really don't care about the Super Bowl or football. I care about Jesus, and I care about your heart, and I care about where will you spend eternity. You got to run for your life. Like never before, we're living in a time, this world is crazy, and you don't know. There's no, who cares how much money you got? Kobe Bryant was worth $2 billion. They were saying $2 billion. He didn't expect one day leaving to go to his daughter's basketball game, but that had to be it. Man, if we don't learn anything, man, run for your life. Live a life of faith. Live a life for Jesus. I mean, one-on-one personal relationship. Walk with him. Talk with him. Lead your family. Speaking to these young kids like my mother and father did to me. That's the inheritance that you need to leave. The amount, no matter how big a house or bank account or all this stuff, you can leave them. That's okay. It, it can't buy you eternity. And, if, and I just want to just close. Trust Jesus and run the race that's marked for you. Amen. 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 The pastor of pain. Bam. All right. Hey. I have a question. Yeah. This is for Corey. You were a little boy? That's <laughs> <At> seven. Because <laughs> I remember him in high school, and we were uh, rivals. I mean, they always beat us, but, um, you know, I, I just heard the word of him. And he was so, I mean, he was just bigger than life, and we end up being very good friends. But I just remember being an opponent. I'm like, this is the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. So when he said he was a little boy, I'm like, really? When was, when was that? <laughs> That's good. At seven, I mean, I guess I had a little boy. Man, well, gosh, what a what a encouraging morning. And, and we prayed over here beforehand that you guys would see Jesus and, and not so much these guys and football and all that kind of thing, but that, that Jesus would be honored and, and he'd be glorified. And, uh, and so we just, as we, as we close today, and, and the, the theme of the day was pivotal, pivotal moments, turning points in life, in faith, in, in careers. And, and so for many people today, you might be facing a dilemma, a challenge, a difficulty, and you're facing a, a turning point and you go one way or the other and the difficulty that, that you're facing is either going to derail you or it's going to draw you into Christ and your, your dependence on him. 
and, and to get through the, the difficult situations that, that you're, you're facing, to make pivotal decisions that it's taking the job, it's leaving the job, it's being the husband, the father that God's called you to be. And, and for some here today, maybe you're not walking with the Lord. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've kind of got caught up in, in life and caught up in some of the things that, that Corey was talking about. And so today's a, an opportunity to be a turning point for you, to say, I surrender. I want to follow Jesus, and I want to go his direction and stay on his path and, and, and knowing that true satisfaction is found in him. And so that's our encouragement today, and you know, we've got this ministry unpacking it to, so, so that we don't have to do this alone. We want to be sports fans following Jesus together. And so we hope that you'll connect with us. And we you know, send out these devotionals to encourage each day. And I interview guys like this on the podcast. And they, they share encouragement through that as well. And so uh, we'd love for you to you know, get tapped in with that. Um, but, but as we wrap things up, we, we, we did put a, just a response card in the middle of the tables and if you can just, it's really quick. It's just like one or two checks, your name, one or two checks, and, and, and just kind of fill out, hey, what did today look like for you? And, and just say, hey, today I want to follow Jesus. I'm already a follower of Jesus. And, and either way, just so that we know and, and can kind of point each other in, in the right direction uh, based on those cards. And another reason for you to fill out the cards we got a little raffle, so uh, Ryan and uh, if Reed maybe could help, there's a, a box that will put the cards in the envelope, and then we'll, we'll draw two names. One will be assigned, if LaVon, you don't mind, sign that Clemson helmet, and then the other football is signed by all three of these guys. So we'll have a couple winners uh, today, so I know we all love memorabilia and prizes, and so uh, another reason to, uh, to fill that out, so... They're at the middle of the table, and there's some information about un- unpacking it as well. And, and then the other thing, too, we've got some awesome events coming up the, the rest of the year as well. And to kind of further this conversation and, and to continue what we're doing, on June 20th, it's Father's Day weekend. So June 20th is a Saturday. It's the Man Up Conference. And this one's taking place at Forest Hill, and it's for churches and men from all over the city of Charlotte to gather for a one-day conference. And I'll be interviewing another panel of guys that morning, but we'll also hear from Derwin Gray. Uh, We're going to hear from Josh Meadows and Colin Pinckney, who are doing awesome work in Charlotte. We're going to hear about the the work that they're doing to to impact the fatherless uh, in this city. And and so would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, Bill Montross is in the back. He's got a Man Up t-shirt on, and, and he can talk to you about that conference and get plugged in with that. Uh, we also have viewing parties. We've got March Madness and Masters viewing parties. We've got a golf tournament, a flag football tournament, and, and a lot going on uh, with Unpacking It Ministries. So thank, thank you for, for being a part of this morning, and, and hopefully you'll, uh, you'll be a part of kind of some of the other stuff that we're doing throughout the year. If you're not plugged into a church, would highly encourage you to go talk to, to Evan, the, uh, the good-looking bald man up front. Um, and so uh, he's got the great South African accent. You can talk to him. Uh, but, but let me pray for you guys as you uh, finish filling out the cards, and uh, we'll do a raffle. And, uh, and uh, before I pray, let, let's give it up for these three guys for giving up a Saturday morning. Um, LeVon Kirkland, Clemson, Steelers, Andy Lee, Pittsburgh, Arizona Cardinals. He played nine games with the Panthers. We didn't even talk about that. Next time. Corey Miller, South Carolina. And uh, Giants. And, and I love that you're uh, buddies with Darius Rucker. I was just watching him yesterday. So my, my little baby, six months old, she was crying, crying, crying. I had on the DVR an old concert from, uh, I guess it was Darius Rucker, the country, his country music. Pop that on. She was peaceful. She had her hands out like this. We were singing some Darius Rucker yesterday. It was awesome. Uh, but let me, uh, let, me, uh, let me pray for us, uh, and, and we'll wrap things up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how good you are, how faithful you are, how you chase after us, Lord. And, and I, I pray for guys here today that, that are feeling that, that tug to, to, to allow today to be a turning point, to be a pivotal moment where they surrender to you, Lord. If there's an aspect of someone's life today that they've been holding on to, Lord, that they would release it to you and that you would meet them 
right where they are, that you'd give them the grace that they need, the mercy that they need to experience, Lord, that they'd feel your love, they'd feel your, your power, your presence, Lord. Make yourself known to them, Lord. And we thank you for the, the, the words that you, you spoke through these guys today. Lord, thank you for Corey and LaVon and Andy and the life that they're living, uh, honoring you and pointing others toward you. Lord, thank you for the, the pain that, that we've all experienced in life and that you've used that, that pain to, to reveal yourself to us and, and to strengthen us and to, to, to give us the power that we needed to get through it. And, and Lord, for those that are going through tough times uh, right now, those, those that have, have lost a, a loved one, those that are facing d- divorce, those are dealing with work issues, Lord, that they would turn to you, they would trust you, that their faith would be in you. And Lord, that you would do an amazing work, Lord, that, that you're a miraculous God, you're a powerful God, and I pray for just, you, just your power to move in this room. Lord, I pray that we'd connect with each other through fellowship, that we'd not do life alone, that we would do it together, that we would be sports fans following Jesus together. And so, Lord, we do this all for you, to honor, to glorify you. Lord, we want to know you, we want to live for you, and, and we want others to know you as well. So, Lord, give us the strength each day to wake up with a passion for you. Lord, thank you for this church, for the opportunity to be here, for these wonderful men, for being a part of this this morning, Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackinit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.